Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hi guys, welcome back. This is episode 15, April 15 through 21st, and this is the Easter episode, okay? So when we go into Come Follow Me, there's actually a lot of like just general scriptures that has you read about Christ and like his last week here on earth and the different things that he went through. And so it asks you to think about songs and things like that that really testify to you of Christ. And so I was trying really hard to think of like, how can I make this a cohesive program? Because, I mean, it has you read, like, chapters out of Matthew every night. You're reading a different chapter. And, I mean, there's just scriptures from all over the place. And so I'm like, how can I make this a cohesive program? And then I decided, you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? It's Easter. I'm like, it's a special day. I think I'm just going to kind of throw Come Follow Me out the window. If y'all will permit me to, you just come with me here. Um, And I decided I'm going to make a mixtape for my Savior. And so what I've done is I've gone through and I found songs that remind me of his life and different parts of his life. I've got scriptures I'm going to share with you. I've got quotes from general authorities I'm going to share with you. And we are going to go through the life of the Savior um, with just some of the highlights that I really enjoyed, both from reading Come Follow Me this year and then just the things that have really stood out to me over the years, okay? So that's what we're going to do. Starting off, we are going to start off with the Savior's mission to save the world. Okay, because that's what he is. He is like the ultimate avenger. He's coming in to save the world and all of us, right? To kind of go back to that, we saw that first in John this year in Come Follow Me in the chapter 1 of John. I'm going to read you verses 1 through 4 and 14. So this is John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness. And the darkness comprehendeth it not. 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. And to go along with that, I have a quote from Russell M. Nelson. This is from his conference talk, The Mission and Ministry of Jesus Christ. He says, During his relatively brief sojourn in mortality, the Savior accomplished two overarching objectives. One was his work and his glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. The other, he stated simply, I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done. The first objective we know is the atonement. This was his magnificent mission in mortality. To the people of the ancient America, the resurrected Lord gave his mission statement, I came into the world to do the will of my Father, because my Father sent me. And my Father sent me that I might be lifted up upon the cross. And after that I had been lifted up upon the cross that I might draw all men unto me. That's from 3 Nephi 27, 13-14. In continuing his sermon, he revealed his second objective, to be our exemplar. Ye know the things that ye must do. For the works which you have seen me do, that shall ye also do. 3 Nephi 27:21. His first objective, I, this is President Nelson speaking, I have defined as his mission. His second objective, I would like to identify as his ministry. And you can go in and you can read the rest of that talk. It's a really good talk. Um, and it's, again, the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ. You can find it on churchofjesuschrist.org. And so... I love that because it's a great introduction to what Jesus Christ came to earth to do and um, his magnificent mission while he was here on earth and how it has just impacted everyone who has ever lived on the earth and everyone who ever will live on the earth. It was just an infinite atonement. And I can't even imagine what the preparation for that must have been like for Christ and as he was planning and kind of mentally wrapping his head around what he was about to do for all of us. It just it boggles my mind. I don't think I even can understand it with my... Um, 
humanity that I have. So I want to go ahead and let you guys listen to one of my favorite songs. Anytime anyone asks me what my favorite primary song, this is this is my answer to it. It's He Sent His Son. And this is the version by the orchestra and the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. And it's from the album Called to Serve, which I recommend. Um, all of the songs I'm going to play for you, I'm going to give you the source for them so that you can go and download them yourself and, you know, give money to the people who made it because, you know, I worry about copyright and stuff. I'm not making any money off of this, so I think I'm okay. But if I lead you back to the source then you guys can go and it can be promoting the source, then I think I'm good, okay? So this is He Sent His Son by the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, and then the album is called Called to Serve. Here it is.
I love that song. It is such a beautiful testimony of Christ. Okay, so up next, I want to kind of cover some of the scenes that we see in Christ's life. And in this particular one, this is one that we covered with Come Follow Me. It's in Mark 4. And this is where they're on a ship in the middle of the sea or lake or whatever. And there's like the big storm that comes up. And the disciples are all freaking out. And they're all like, oh, we're going to die. We're going to die. And Christ is like, guys, like, why are you so afraid? Like, it's going to be okay, guys. It's going to be okay. And he calms the way and he calms the sea. And I love that because I feel like that's what he does in our lives. And so I'm going to read you the scriptures from Mark. This is Mark 4, 35 through 41. And the same day when the even had come, he said unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there was also with him other little ships. And now there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Exactly. What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so I love that because he is such a source of peace to me. When I'm freaking out and having meltdowns over different things, I can come to him and he will say, Peace, be still. And one of my favorite conference talks of all time, like you guys, I think I have this tattooed on my heart because I love this conference talk so much. It really is my favorite conference talk, I think, of all time ever. You need to go read it. It's called An High Priest of Good Things to Come by Jeffrey R. Holland. All right, and this is a quote from it, okay? He says, I know some of you do truly feel like you are at sea, in the most frightening sense of that term. Out of in the troubled waters, you might even now be crying, like the poet says, it darkens, I have lost the ford. There is a change on all things made. The rocks have evil faces, Lord, and I am sore afraid. No, it is not without recognition of life's tempests, but fully and directly because of them that I testify of God's love and the Savior's power to calm the storm. Always remember in that biblical story that he was out there on the water also, that he faced the worst of it right along with the newest and youngest and most fearful. Only one who has fought against those ominous waves is justified in telling us, as well as the sea, to be still. Only one who has taken on the full brunt of such adversity could ever be justified in telling us in such times to be of good cheer. Such counsel is not a jaunty pep talk, and it's not the power of positive thinking, although positive thinking is much needed in our world. No, Christ knows better than all the others that the trials of life can be very deep, and we are not shallow people if we struggle with them. But even as the Lord avoids sugary rhetoric, He rebukes faithlessness, and He deplores pessimism. He expects us to believe. No one's eyes were more penetrating than His and much of what he saw pierced his heart. Surely his ears heard every cry of distress, every sound of want and despair. To a degree far more than we will ever understand, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Indeed, to the layman in the streets of Judea, Christ's career must have seemed like a failure, a tragedy, a good man totally overwhelmed by the evil surrounding him and the misdeeds of others. He was misunderstood or misrepresented, even hated from the beginning. No matter what he said or did, his statements were twisted, his actions suspected, his motives impugned. In the entire history of the world, no one has ever loved so purely or served so selflessly and been treated so diabolically for his effort. Yet nothing could break his faith in his father's plan or his father's promises. Even in those darkest hours at Gethsemane and Calvary, he pressed on, continuing to trust in the very God whom he momentarily feared had forsaken him. Because Christ's eyes were unfailingly fixed on the future, he can endure all that was required of him, suffer as no man can suffer except it be unto death. As King Benjamin said, look upon the wreckage of individual lives and the promises of ancient Israel lying in ruins around him and still say then and now, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. How could he do this? How could he believe it? Because he knows that for the faithful, 
things will be made right soon enough. He is a king. He speaks for the crown. He knows what is promised. He knows that the Lord will always be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. He knows that the Lord is nigh unto them who are of broken heart, and saveth such as be of contrite spirit. He knows that the Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. I love that quote of Jeffrey R. Holland. It's so powerful about the mission and ministry of Christ and his love that he has for every single one of us. So I'm going to let you guys listen now to one of my favorite hymns. I know I talked about this in one of the other episodes. I found a version that I like of Master the Tempest is Raging. So here it is. Master the Tempest is Raging. This is by Laurel Blair featuring Sarah Set, I think, S-E-I-D-T. And it's on the album My Constant Hope. The tempest is raging The billows are tossing high The sky is o'ershadowed with blackness No shelter nor help is nigh Carest thou not that we
So next up, I want to talk to you about some of his parables, and specifically the parable of the lost sheep. He talks about this parable several different times, but the one I want to refer to is in Luke 15, verses 4 through 7. And he says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. All right, I love that parable because it talks about Christ as our good shepherd. And, you know, I think like in the first or second episode, I talk about Christ as the good shepherd and him pulling a little sheep out of the hole. And I'm like, sometimes Christ is shepherding me like, you know, I've fallen into a giant pit and he has to pull me out. And he is the good shepherd. And I've got this really great quote from Gary E. Stevenson in his conference talk, Shepherding Souls. He says, The Savior showed by example what it means to minister as he served out of love. He taught... He prayed for, he comforted and blessed those around him, inviting all to follow him. As church members minister in a higher and holier way, they prayerfully seek to serve as he would, to watch over the church always and be with and strengthen them, visit the house of each member, and help each become a true disciple of Jesus Christ. We understand that a true shepherd loves his sheep, knows each one by name, and has a personal interest in them. The prophet Nephi likewise taught that Jesus shall feed his sheep, and in him they shall find pasture. I find abiding peace in knowing that the Lord is my shepherd, and that each one of us is known by him and under his care. When we confront life's wind and rainstorms, sicknesses and injuries, drought, the Lord, our shepherd, will minister to us. He will restore our souls. And I love that because it talks about not only us reaching out and helping him, you know, being under shepherds to him, reaching out and taking care of his sheep, but also he reaching out to us wherever we are, wherever we've wandered off to and binding us to him. And for that, I want to share the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And I know there have been like a multiple tons of different versions of this, but I chose vocal point because, you know, I got to have some vocal point on here. Okay. So this is vocal points version of come thou fount of every blessing from their album, lead thou me on. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing Called for songs of loudest praise
interposed His precious blood. to be let thy goodness like a fetter find my wandering heart to So up next is one of the most difficult parts of the Easter story for me. Um, I also think it is one of the most important parts of the Easter story. And this is the Savior's time in Gethsemane. And I think sometimes it gets overlooked by the cross and the resurrection, which are also very, very important parts. But this is the part where he actually took on our sins for us. Without Gethsemane and, you know, him taking on our sins there in the Garden of Gethsemane, there would have been no cross. There would have been no resurrection. Like, I mean, it, it, this is at a really important part that had to come along with the cross and the resurrection to make the whole package of the atonement available to us. And so, obviously, there's several different versions of Gethsemane in the scriptures. Um, I chose the version in Luke, though, because Luke is a physician. As a physician, he kind of details all the different things that happened to Jesus' body while he was in Gethsemane. And so this is in Luke 22, 39 through 46. And he says, And he came out and went, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And when he was withdrawn from them, about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise up and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. All right, and that's Luke's account. Of course, all the other Gospels have different accounts. They're, they're fairly similar as well. But I like Matthew's too because he goes and he asks Heavenly Father, you know, is there no other way? Nevertheless, you know, not my will, but thine be done. He asks that three different times. And so... There's another quote out there that talks about, you know, when we're going through something hard, don't forget that we are not the first person to ask, you know, is there no other way? And Christ was a really great example in that, you know, even if we want another way and there's not another way, thy will be done. You know, and he set the perfect example for that. Um, I found a conference talk for the atonement by our prophet Russell M. Nelson. This is from the October 1996 conference. Let us now ponder the deep meaning of the word atonement. In the English language, the components are at, one, meant, suggesting that a person is at one with another. Other languages employ words that connote either expiation or reconciliation. Expiation means to atone for. Reconciliation comes from the Latin roots re, meaning again, con, meaning with, and cella, meaning seat. Reconciliation, therefore, literally means to sit again with. Rich meaning is found in study of the word atonement in the Semitic languages of the Old Testament times. In Hebrew, the basic word for atonement is kafar, a verb that means to cover or to forgive. Closely related is the Aramaic and Arabic word kafat, 
meaning a close embrace, no doubt related to the Egyptian ritual embrace. References to that embrace are evident in the Book of Mormon. One states, The Lord hath redeemed my soul. I have beheld his glory, and I am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. Another proffers the glorious hope of our being clasped in the arms of Jesus. I weep for joy when I contemplate the significance of it all. To be redeemed is to be atoned, received in the close embrace of God with an expression not only of his forgiveness, but of our oneness of heart and mind. What a privilege and what a comfort to those of us with loved ones who have already passed from our family circle through the gateway we call death. Scriptures teach us more about the word atonement. The Old Testament has many references to atonement which call for animal sacrifice. Not just any animal would do, special considerations included, the selections of a firstling of a flock without blemish, the sacrifice of the animal's life by the shedding of blood, the death of the animal without breaking a bone, and one animal could be sacrificed as a vicarious act for another. The atonement of Christ fulfilled all these prototypes of the Old Testament. He was the firstborn Lamb of God without blemish. His sacrifice occurred by the shedding of blood. No bones of his body were broken, noteworthy in that both his malefactors crucified with the Lord had their legs broken, and his was a vicarious sacrifice for others. While the word atone or atonement in any of their forms appear only once in the King James translation of the New Testament, they appear 35 times in the Book of Mormon. As another testament of Jesus Christ, it sheds precious light on his atonement, as do the doctrine and covenants and the pearl of great price. Latter-day Revelation has added much to our biblical base of understanding of the atonement. And so with that beautiful testimony that Russell M. Nelson gave, I love Russell M. Nelson's explanations about various words. Um, he's kind of a word nerd like me. I love words. And so I love when he goes into the different words and talks about their meaning and the roots of the words. And the atonement is one of my most favorite meanings to go into delve into when he talks about the kafar, the covering, because Christ covers us from sin. And he did that through his time in Gethsemane. And so um, the song that I have picked for you guys is Gethsemane. And if you have been involved in primary in the last couple of years, you probably know the song. Um, it's not actually in the primary children's songbook. It was actually published in The Friend. But um, it has become incredibly popular with various primary programs and organizations over the years. And so you can find all kinds of different videos and stuff for it, even on churchofjesuschrist.org. But the version I chose is by Reese Oliveira. And it's got some beautiful instrumentation with it, too. So um, I invite you to listen to this and let the Spirit teach you about what happened on Gethsemane. Jesus climbed the hill to the garden still. His steps were heavy and slow. Love and a prayer took him there to the place only he could go.
So he gave his gift to me in Gethsemane. Hope you guys don't mind, but this next part is going to probably be the longest part of the whole thing. There's lots of reading, but、um, I believe that between this and the cross and get and then the resurrection, these are like the most important events that have ever occurred in human history. So I really want to give them their due importance. So we are actually going to read the crucifixion story out of Luke 23. This is 27 through 56, and so here we go. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. And Jesus, turning unto them, said, "Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, 'Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck.' Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, 'Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us.'" For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and they cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, "He saved others; he let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God." And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, "If thou be the King of the Jews, save thyself." And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew: "This is the King of the Jews." And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, "If thou be Christ, save thyself and us." But the other answering rebuked him, saying, "Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath nothing done amiss." And he said unto Jesus, "Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom." And Jesus said unto him, "Verily I say unto thee, to day thou shalt be with me in paradise." And it was the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, "Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit." And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now, when the centurion saw that what was done, he glorified God, saying, "Certainly this was a righteous man." And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and the deed of those who had crucified Christ, and he was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulchre that was hewn in stone, wherever never man was before laid. And the day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulchre and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. So that was kind of it was at least one account of his crucifixion. The Gospels have other accounts as well. They had a few other details, but、um, I like that one. I wanted to share with you. Okay, so the talk that I've chosen to go with this is by Dieter F. Uchtdorf. I love some Uchtdorf.、Um, it is called "Behold the Man," and it's from the April 2018 General Conference. He starts out the greatest day in history. Recently, I asked the internet what day most changed the course of history. The results ranged from surprising and strange to insightful and thought-provoking. Among them, the day when a prehistoric asteroid struck the Yucatan Peninsula, or when, in 1440, Johannes Gutenberg finished his printing press, and of course, the day in 1903 when the Wright brothers showed the world that a man really can fly. If the same question were asked of you, what day most changed the course of history? What would you say? 
In my mind, the answer is clear. To find the most important day in history, we must go back to that evening, almost 2,000 years ago, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus Christ knelt in intense prayer and offered himself as a ransom for our sins. It was during this great and infinite sacrifice of unparalleled suffering in both body and spirit that Jesus Christ, even God, bled at every pore. Out of our perfect love, he gave all that we might receive all. His supernal sacrifice, difficult to comprehend, to be felt only with all our heart and our mind, reminds us of the universal debt of gratitude we owe Christ for his divine gift. Later that night, Jesus was brought before religious and political authorities who mocked him, beat him, and sentenced him to a shameful death. He hung in agony upon the cross until finally it was finished. His lifeless body was laid in a borrowed tomb. And then on the morning of the third day, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Almighty God, emerged from the tomb as a glorious, resurrected being of splendor, light, and majesty. Yes, there are many events throughout history that have profoundly affected the destiny of nations and peoples. But combine them all, and they cannot begin to compare to the importance of what happened on that first Easter morning. What is it that makes the infinite sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ the most important event in the history, more influential than world wars, cataclysmic disasters, and life-changing scientific discoveries? The answer lies in two great, insurmountable challenges that every one of us faces. First of all, we all die. No matter how young, beautiful, healthy, or cautious you are, someday your body will become lifeless. Friends and family will mourn you, but they cannot bring you back. Nevertheless, because of Jesus Christ, your death will be temporary. Your spirit one day will reunite with your body. This resurrected body will not be subject to death, and you will live in the eternities free from pain and physical suffering. This will happen because of Jesus the Christ, who laid down his life and took it up again. He did this for all who believe in him. He did this for all who do not believe in him. He did this even for those who mock, revile, and curse his name. Secondly, we have all sinned. Our sins would forever keep us from living with God because no unclean thing can enter into his kingdom. As a result, every man, woman, and child would be shut out of his presence. That is, until Jesus the Christ, the Lamb without spot, offered his life as a ransom for our sins. Because Jesus owed no debt to justice, he could pay our debt and meet the demands of justice for every soul. And that includes you and me. Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins, all of them. On the most important day in history, Jesus the Christ opened the gates of death and cast aside the barriers that prevented us from passing into the holy and hallowed halls of everlasting life. Because of our Lord and Savior, you and I are granted a most precious and priceless gift. Regardless of our past, we can repent and follow the paths that lead us to celestial light and glory, surrounded by the faithful children of Heavenly Father. Because of Jesus Christ, we will rise from the despair of death and embrace those we love, shedding tears of overwhelming joy and overflowing gratitude. Because of Jesus Christ, we will exist as eternal beings, worlds without end. Because of Jesus Christ, our sins can not only be erased, they can be forgotten. We can become purified and exalted, holy, because of Jesus Christ. I love that. And it covers everything that Christ has done for us, everything he promises us, and everything he will deliver. And so to cover that, so to pair with that, I wanted you guys to hear this song forever. And this is sung by Nathan Pacheco. It is off of his album, Higher.
battle in the grave The war on death was waged The power of hell forever broken The ground began to shake The stone was rolled away His perfect love could not be overcome Now death, where is your sting? Our resurrected King has rendered you of the resurrected Christ. Um, and you guys, you know, I love my sisters in the scriptures. I always love my sisters in the scriptures. And so I wanted to focus on a woman. And ever since I was a little girl, there is this painting of Christ appearing to Mary Magdalene. And, you know, she's sitting there, she's got her hands open, and she's looking up at Christ, and he's looking down at her so tenderly. And I have to say, when I was a little girl, the reason this was my favorite painting was because it had pink flowers in it, and the pink flowers matched my room. <laughs> so that's why I love this painting over all of the other Jesus paintings, was because it has pink flowers in it. But 
I went on to see that I love this painting now because it shows my resurrected Savior and it shows him appearing to a woman that he would choose to appear to a woman in a society that was so male-driven. Um, he chose to appear to Mary first. And that that moment was filled with so much tenderness and so much love. And how much tenderness and love does he have for each and every one of us? I mean, he could look at us and he would just say our name. I can't even imagine with how much love he says our name and how proud he is of us, especially when we seek after him, like Mary was looking for him that morning. So I wanted to share the story of Mary Magdalene with you. This is in John, John 20, 1 through 16. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre, and she saw the stone taken away from the sepulchre. And then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and the other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they both ran together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. And then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeing the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. And then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. The disciples went away again into their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And she seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. When she had said, thus said, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, but knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid them, and I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. And she turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. How beautiful is that? I can't help but just loving her little, you know, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him. I mean, can you imagine little Mary Magdalene like picking up the body of, you know, Christ and trying to carry him away? But she was willing to do that to honor his body because she didn't yet know that he was resurrected. And I'm just, you know, I just love the devotion that she had to him and that his disciples had to had to him. And I just love this story. I love the living Christ so much. So I'm so grateful to share that with you. I chose the modern day apostle version I chose to share with you is Elder D. Todd Christofferson, The Resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, Elder James E. Talmadge wrote, It was Jesus to whom she spake, her beloved Lord, though she knew it not. One word from his living lips changed her agonized grief into ecstatic joy. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. The voice, the tone, the tender accent she had heard and loved in earlier days lifted her from the despairing depths into which she had sunk. She turned and saw the Lord. In a transport of joy, she reached out her arms to embrace him, uttering only the endearing and worshipful word, Rabboni, meaning my beloved master. And so this blessed woman, who became the first mortal to see and speak to the resurrected Christ, later that same day, he appeared to Peter in or near Jerusalem to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and in the evening to ten of the apostles and others, appearing suddenly in their midst, saying, Behold, my hands and my feet, that is, I myself, handle me, and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, and as ye see me have. Then to further convince them, while they were yet believed not for joy and wondered, he ate broiled fish and honeycomb before them. Later he instructed them, Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Beyond these confirmed witnesses in Jerusalem, we have the incomparable ministry of the risen Lord to the ancient inhabitants of the western hemisphere. In the land bountiful, he descended from heaven and invited the assembled throng, some 2,500, to come forward one by one until they had all gone forth thrusting their hands into his side, and feeling the prints of his nails in his hands and in his feet. When they had all gone forth and had witnessed for themselves, they did cry out with one accord, saying, Hosanna! Blessed be the name of the Most High God! And they did fall down at the feet of Jesus and did worship him. 
Okay, the song that I chose for this was How Can It Be by Sierra Lauren. Um, and this is actually a cover of a Lauren Daigle song. And y'all know I love me some Lauren Daigle. But I love Sierra's version so much. And it comes off of the album The Worth of Souls, Songs to Rescue and Restore Faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and Paul Cardell has kind of put these songs together. But it's multiple people in the LDS community singing various songs about Christ. And it's a gorgeous album. I definitely recommend it. You can get it from Deseret Book or you can find it on Amazon or anywhere else that you download music from. But it is absolutely beautiful. So this is How Can It Be by Sierra Lauren. Okay, so this is going to be the last song of the mixtape that I'm making for Jesus. I'm actually going to start it out with our modern day quote from Gordon B. Hinckley. And this talk is called This Glorious Easter Morn. And he says, 
there is nothing more universal than death, and nothing brighter with hope and faith than the assurance of immortality. The abject sorrow that comes with death, the bereavement that follows the passing of a loved one, are mitigated only by the certainty of the resurrection of the Son of God, that first Easter morning. What meaning would life have without the reality of immortality? Otherwise, life would become a dismal journey of getting and spending, only to end in utter and hopeless oblivion. But, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The pain of death is swallowed up in the peace of eternal life. Of all the events of the chronicles of humanity, none is of such consequence as this. Contemplating the wonder of the atonement wrought in behalf of all mankind, the prophet Joseph Smith declared the words descriptive and beautiful, saying, Let the mountains shout for joy, and all ye valleys cry aloud, and all ye seas and dry lands tell the wonders of your eternal king, and ye rivers and brooks and rills flow down with gladness. Let the woods and all the trees of the field praise the Lord, and ye solid rocks weep for joy. And let the sun and the moon and the morning stars sing together, and let all the sons of God shout for joy. And let the eternal creations declare his name forever and ever. And again I say how glorious is the voice we hear from heaven proclaiming in our ears glory and salvation and honor and immortality and eternal life, kingdoms, principalities, and power. And that's from DNC 128.23. And so... That, I love that quote from Joseph Smith. That is absolutely beautiful. Um, and it totally encapsulates how I feel about um, what Christ promises us. And so I want to end this mixtape with a scripture from the Doctrine and Covenants, Doctrine and Covenants 7622. And it says, And now, after the many testimonies which we have given of him, this testimony, last of all, which we give of him, that he lives. And so if I can leave you with anything from this mixtape that I've made for this podcast episode, I want to leave you with my testimony that Jesus Christ lives and he loves us and he knows us personally, just like he knew Mary and could call us by each one of us by name. And that he would go back and he would do the whole thing over again, even if he was only just putting his life on the line for one of us. For you, he would still do it over again. And I'm so grateful to my Lord and Savior, and I love thinking about all of this every Easter. And so the song that I have chosen to end this mixtape with is Handel's Messiah, Hallelujah Chorus. And I know we usually sing it at Christmas time, but, and that's when I usually sing it. I go to the Messiah sing-along, and I just love singing this song because I just, you know, I may not have the best voice in the world, but I will literally sing this at the top of my lungs. I'm so grateful for my Savior and just tears rolling down my cheeks. So I would invite you, you know, maybe you're in your car. That would be a good place to do this. Driving in your car by yourself. Turn the volume up and just, you know, sing from the top of your heart. It doesn't matter if you are off key. It doesn't matter, you know, how well you are singing. Just belt it out, y'all. Hallelujah. You know, he is king forever and ever. I love it so much. So here we go. Hallelujah. Handel's Messiah.
the Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.